Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Welcome. We are live. It is Tuesday night. Back to our regular schedule. My name is Jason Hunt. And Timothy's muted somehow. How do we do that? Let's unmute him. Let's. Can we unmute? You muted. You muted yourself, sir. How did you do that? Somehow got the microphone's set weird too uh just had to go into my settings make a change <laughs> okay all right we're gonna new, try we're doing a new thing and it's slightly different yeah we are uh we are using Streamyard tonight for our connection instead of uh zoom uh because zoom has been giving us a little bit of an issue as far as the um as far as the picture goes we got pixelation you <laughs> Weird things all over the place. Right. So we're going to try this and see what happens. So anyway, welcome. This is the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey, and I'm not, not at all centered in this image. <laughs> well, it, I, I, had to, I had to frame it up weird in, uh, because uh, it's, it's a new source, right? Because it's not, my, it's right, not right. the usual thing. So anyway, all right. So the problem is, is that I yeah. this, this is my desk, and yeah. I am like, I can't really Leading go into, any yeah. further. Well, you can always the, pan the, your camera. I've got one of those. I've got, well, I've got that rib code, rib cage in the way. So mm. Let's try moving the computer here a little bit. There's not a whole lot of yeah space in that corner for the computer. We'll uh, we'll 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 manage. So. I can, I can try to, I can try to fudge it a little bit. You you went hey, you went the wrong way. <laughs> just weird because that doesn't make any sense. There it oh, is. Well. There it is. That's close. We're anyway. close close enough for horseshoes and hand grenades, right? Exactly. Yes. So well, we'll call it there. <laughs> you know, if if we didn't have a tech issue somewhere. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be us, right? So so um, I'm getting ready to run the film programs for the Kansas City for the KC Fringe Festival. Got to say it right. the The official name is the KC Fringe Festival. Yes. Um, people tend to say KC or Kansas City, but it is KC Fringe Festival. And Friday night um, we had a preview night, and. Um, so we had, uh, I think it was nine acts that came down and did like anywhere from two to 15 minute preview of their show. And I got up and I talked about the film programs real briefly. And we showed a trailer that I made for the six different film programs, the 18 hours of films that I'm going to be, um, uh, running the screenings for this weekend. Right. And... The the venue, which is this fantastic comedy club called The Bird, downtown Kansas City, 
um, real film friendly, fantastic people. Um, and they had just, they'd been struggling with some of the, um, their technology recently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so they were going to try a new program to run video off of. Uh oh. And I sent them the file for the film, right? And I'm not doing it through the internet, not doing it through YouTube or anything like that. It's right. the actual file of the movie. And it gets in about 15 seconds. <laughs> Video starts to lag. Oh. Audio's playing fine. Yeah. Um, Video starts to lag. And then the video freezes. Audio's playing fine. Yeah. And so I was like, no. So I hopped up, strode back up to the stage and said, folks, if you know anything about film in Kansas City, <laughs> right. there's not a technical issue. You're not doing it right. Right. So, so, and then I, so I talked a little bit more instead of showing the trailer, but yeah, no, it's. Well, we do have, we do have a little bit of stuttering, <laughs> but you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to uh, get things going here. Uh, over on Twitch. Actually, we have uh, we have some people in the chat. I see Cam in the chat. We have a new person in the chat, a new name in the chat. Vengeance CNS has a question for the guy in gray. So, Tim, you, hey. there is there is a question on its way to you. So, Vengeance, go ahead. Um, let's keep it let's keep it civil and polite. But yes, let's go ahead. Um, in the sure. meantime, while we're waiting for Vengeance's you know, question uh, tonight, it's kind of a I guess it's a, is would you consider this a milestone? Three hundred and fifty episodes. Well, when you think about how many years it has taken us to get to three hundred and fifty, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we do a we do a show that that on barring scheduling things and and holidays and and life in general can't seriously get stop. Um, you know. It's a weekly show. Yeah. And we had a break for a while there. And, um, you know, yeah, it's not so too shabby. It's Although too shabby it's, to put it, it, started, it started out as every other week. <laughs> and, right. And then right. it wasn't. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I think, I think it's, uh, I think it's an accomplishment to, just to see what, uh, it's nothing, what it's nothing to complain about. And, I mean, and really, when you look back at all of the stuff that we've talked about, we haven't had a whole lot of repeats. Now we have had a few. Well, yeah, um, I mean, and but sure. Yeah. All right, so we do have <clears throat> we do have the question from Vengeance CNS over in uh, over in Twitch. Yes. Uh, <laughs> is Tim taken? His beard is very nice. So you have an admirer, sir. So, uh, there you go. <clears throat> oh, speaking very of kind. Speaking of which, so yesterday I go down to uh, I go down to Arkansas. I go down to uh, to Critical Blast Logistics, and I'm helping out uh, helping RJ pack uh, books for fulfillment for one of the crowdfunding things that he's shipping for. And when I get back here, Mrs. Boss has 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 gone by the mailbox and picked up a box for us. And in that box are these magazines. I have vol uh, number eight, number nine, and number ten. Tales from the Magician's Skull. All new swords and sorcery fiction. These are fiction Ooh. collections, and it they are edited. Uh, they're edited by 
Howard Andrew Jones, who's the, who's the guy who sent these to me, uh, he's got a couple of books that are about to be published by Bayon, uh, reprints mm-hmm. and stuff. And he and he had reached out and he said, you know, I've got these I've got these books. I want to send you the review copies when they're ready. I was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. He said, in the meantime, I'm going to send you this. So he sends me these, and it's real. I mean, it really does kind of kind of evoke. Ye old wizard magazine, right? I mean, you look at these. Oh, sure, these a little covers, bit, yeah. These are really nice, and they're slick, glossy covers mm-hmm. and everything. So I'm looking forward to reading because they're just basically inside. They're black and white, and uh, they've got you know short stories connected with a with an illustration. So I'm looking forward to to taking a look at these, and I'll pass them along. You can have a look at them too. So these are sure. These are gonna be fun. So anyway, so. Tonight, this is something that we've touched on briefly while we talked about other things. Mm-hmm. The shared universe, and and the timing of this is actually pretty good because today, just just about an hour before we went on the air, <coughs> we got news, uh, some more casting news for Superman right. Legacy, mm-hmm. and. I gotta say, I'm not sure about this. So you have so, we have is is I it kind of am Isabella Merced <laughs> is going to play Hot Girl. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. She's young, but she can play Hot Girl. Well, uh, and considering that that Kara in the comics, she looks like Kara in the comics. Yeah. Um, just on a, as a visual on a visual look, it's like okay, yeah, I can see that. Um, is a the most recent version of her, because she's like she and Hawkman are characters who reincarnate, right? And most of the time, she's a uh, redhead. Well, she hasn't been for about a decade yeah. in in the comics. Okay, and because it's a different incarnation. Okay, got it. And she, the the prem and you know, she came to that. She and Mister Ter- this version of Mister Terrific, the modern version of Mister Terrific came about in the same time. It was tied with the Justice Society. Oh, okay, all right. Um, and uh, when James Robinson was writing the Justice Society. That, the, and so it's probably, oh God, it's longer than 10 years. It's a, <laughs> right. lot, it's a lot longer than 10 years. But it's, so, so this version of her has been around for a long time. Now, is this, is um, this pre, pre-New 52 Justice Society? Yes. Okay, all right. Well, so, well. oh God, yeah. How scary. I'll, I'll have to look up the dates. But anyway, right. anyway. She the the version that that she looks the most like, and the modern version that they're currently using again, mm. is she didn't remember her past lives. Hawkman did, mm. and okay, so there I was think I remember tension. hearing about this story. Yeah, it was the tension for the fact that he knew that this is the woman who he's been with forever, literally, yeah. and she was like, "Who are you, and why are you bothering me?" Right. Um, and, and had no idea that she was, she's, her destiny is to be a hero. And so eventually she becomes a hero, but she never got the emotional connection back. Well, not never. It took a long time for that to happen because there was just, there were things in the way. Anyway, um, so she looks right. Mr. Trip, the guy, I can't remember his name, Mr. Trip. Uh, Edie Gathigi. I've never okay. heard of him. I don't, I don't know. I, I have, is. I've seen him in, in some stuff. And, and I, I think could be mispronouncing that. So, yeah. As far, I mean, I have I have no issues with this casting in terms of of you know, I'm like okay, sure, yeah. Um, but the big one, and the big the one, big though, one. I I read the headline. This is Variety Variety headline. 
Superman Legacy adds Nathan Fillion as Green Lantern. Plus Isabella as- Merced and he's good. And I thought, and as soon as I saw the headline, I went, "What?" Because you know he's played Green Lantern in the animated stuff sure. before. Okay, and then I get down into the into the into the meat of the article, and it's. <laughs> Superman Legacy writer-director and DC Studios co-chief James Gunn is expanding the new DC universe with three new actors joining the cast. Okay, that's filler. Whatever. Nathan Fillion will play Guy Gardner. (laughs) And I thought, what? Because Guy Gardner is, uh, on the one hand, maybe I can see it, but no. Okay, so so the thing is, is that there's... It depends, again, where you're coming in on Guy Gardner. If you're coming in in Justice League International, you know, Keith Giffen, right. back in the day, he is a hero, uh-huh. um, but he's also a jerk. and, and He buys know, into the, his own press. Right, and he's, yeah. he's... But the thing is, is that Guy Gardner is one of those characters where, depending on the writer... Because if you go back to the original original appearance of Guy Gardner in Green Lantern comics, he was a hero, and at the end of his, he was he was an alternate. He was the guardian. He was a backup. Yeah. The guardians were like, we chose Hal Jordan, but we could have chosen Guy Gardner. Right. And then eventually, um, he ends up in a coma, and then when he wakes up from the coma. Justice League International basically like let's make him funny. Yeah, and, and and that's the version that people knew for a long time the the the, the funny jerk. Yeah, and then he became Warrior, which was an interesting choice. Um, and then he became went back to being a Green Lantern. The current version of Guy Gardner is abrasive, but honorable and brave. And he, the part of the abrasiveness comes in the fact that. He just doesn't get along with Hal Jordan. Yeah. It's not he's an idiot or he's cruel or he's unpleasant. It's just that he and Hal rub each other the wrong way. <laughs> and so he's often in the in the current version of the comics, he's very often portrayed as being the bravest lantern out there because he's willing to dive in. Um, you know, he's he's just a different kind of Green Lantern. So, on one hand, I really want to see what they're doing with this because if we're getting <laughs> if we're getting the Justice League International Guy Gardner, then see, that means that means we're going to get one punch. We're going to well, we're, maybe, and we're going <laughs> to, but that but that opens the door more so yeah. to Blue Beetle and Booster Gold because that's their part of it. That's their part of their world. It's the funny hero part yeah. of the world right so right. i'm like okay and nathan fillin can is is very good except at playing that, that kind of character except that blue beetle was ted cord ted cord and booster gold uh i know, know. Blue not but not jaime is, reyes well the thing is, is that both there's nothing they, they they can coexist there's nothing that says they can't coexist mm. um because one is a one is wearing a suit of alien armor and one is a techno hero right hero, right. right so but anyway um, so I'm looking at this and thinking, okay, depending on which version, um, if he's playing the abrasive yet heroic 
modern version, then I think he's perfectly cast. Mm. If he's playing the comedic, abrasive, hero, arrogant version, he's played that role before too. No. So, I See, mean, the thing, but, but it's going to be the execution. I mean, yeah, here, I, here's, I. Here's my question as far as that goes because Nathan Fillion is obviously older than 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 corn sweat right who's going to be playing sure. superman so it does By not, about 20 years <laughs> yeah so it doesn't appear as if we're going to go the route of dc comics where superman was the first superhero no 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 we're going to get like we're going to get other people apparently established May, maybe well, we get maybe we get a different version of the justice society than what we got in the black adam I think honestly, that was. I am hopeful that we do because I think the the important thing about Superman be, isn't that he was the first hero. The important thing about Superman is that he's the most inspirational hero, mm-hmm. and in many ways, he's the dawn of the new heroic age. Right, and I think that if again we're a tie. Dear James Gunn, please. Um, the the it would be these other heroes have existed. They have been you know the the age of heroes, the golden age, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and if you haven't checked out that graphic novel from James Robinson, you should pick that one up. Um, It's Twilight of the Justice Society. But the this this era this World War II era of heroes, I think, would be very very cool to be part of the lore of this new iteration of the DC universe. Yeah. Um, and then now Cam suggested you know, they could have had got him play Batman Alan Scott Bo- instead. I'm sorry? I said Cam suggested they could have had him play Alan Scott if we're gonna go older. You know, he's been more they sad. Could, he's been around I, for a while, but but I'd almost want to have somebody even older play Alan Scott because then you can have an older hero. I mean mm-hmm. somebody who's you know uh, but so so far I'm okay. I did also see confirmation that he that the authority he said that the authority is not going to be in the Superman film. Okay. Um, which again I'm perfectly fine with because part of me I am going to be fine if one of the things that they don't do right off the bat is tie these films together too tightly. And that brings us to our topic but See what I did because there? because you know as as we get through all of this and you know gr- we're gonna get green lantern and hot girl and mr terrific in the superman movie and we've got blue beetle over here that could show up in a in a and all of these all of these different places where everything could be crossed over you have the dc universe it's it's another they're they're reestablishing a brand new story universe in which all of these films are going to and the television shows are all going to live and i was watching the cw had uh the first of four parts uh, of a documentary series that uh, that scott mance has put together 1982 the greatest geek year ever and the first episode was mostly about Spielberg. You had E.T. and you had Poltergeist in 1982, both of them. And I had forgotten that Poltergeist came out the same weekend as Star Trek Two. But 1982 was a banner year 
because you had Blade Runner, you had The Thing, you had E.T., you had uh, Star Trek II, you had Tron, you had uh, The Dark Crystal. All of these films came out the same year. And at one point, somebody was talking. I can't remember who it was. She was doing an interview. I think she's a, she's a producer on... Oh, what was it that she's a producer on? But she said... Or it may have been somebody else. They were talking about the fact that most of these films would not have been produced now. If they were brand new and you came in and you did the pitch, most of them would not be produced now because they're not based on something else. Sure. They're not part of an IP. They're not a franchise type of thing. And that got me thinking, how much damage, if I could use that word, how much damage has been done to Hollywood because of their dependency on the shared universe? You got Marvel doing it, you got DC doing it, you have and and but, those have been the dominant film series of all of these things. And now of course you're going to get uh Transformers and yeah, you're going to get the Hasbro shared universe, you're going to get the T- Nintendo cinematic universe, mm-hmm. all these different things. How much is too much? I think I think well, we're the, at the, the point part, where we're, we're too got too much. I think I don't know that it's so much shared universe is the issue. I think franchise is the issue because shared universes have been around for a very long time. Not, and, not in the same way, though. Um, actually, on television. Far, far more. Well, yeah, than but, but, film. The film, so, but the films, movies—that's oh, that's a re- that's a relatively recent thing. Sure, I, to a degree. I mean, I think that we've got we don't we have never had on the level of you know Marvel putting out twenty movies that all connect to each other. Yeah, that is a new thing. Nobody has ever done it like that. I mean, you can go back and look at, you know, you look at your, uh, you, you can draw some interesting lines of some of your film noir period, some of your crime pictures with with actors who aren't necessarily playing the same character that they're playing in the other movie, but it's essentially the same character with a different name. Right. And it'd be really easy to sit there and go, he changed his name at the end of that movie so he could be <laughs> over here in a new life. You know, it, right. fans have all kinds of fun with that stuff, but. I mean, you can if you go to the Wold Newton yeah, uh, webpage, you can find whole articles about that. Where yeah. basically this is the same person, but he's changed his name like five times. Um, but I think that you, and this is kind of what I want to see out of the DC, the new DC movies, is I absolutely think it's great to have them connect because the comic books connect, but I don't want them to basically be so intertwined with each other that somebody can't drop into the new Superman film or Blue Beetle or a hot girl movie and feel like they have to watch other stuff. And to some degree that's, that's Marvel has, has kind of worked their way there. And it's a challenge when you're a writer because you can write yourself into a corner. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now Marvel's corner is still really big. They're not like squished back in a corner with no room to move, but it it limits the kinds of stories you can tell if you're trying to make everything fit together in a puzzle quite so connectedly. And I think that with DC saying that you know with Gunn saying we're going to have these films that aren't in 
this main continuity. We've got the Batman. We've got the Joker. Stuff, we've yeah. got these we've these Elseworlds titles, um, just like the comics do. I'm, I think this is a, at, at least on paper, and before we we've seen the execution, this sounds smart to me because, of course, what DC did the first time was not. Uh, it was too well. I mean, it just well, it, it, it was. If if. if, if Let's let's define the first time because you're talking about the Snyderverse because the first time DC did a shared universe was Superman the movie and Supergirl, right? And <laughs> and, and you know Justice for Helen Slater yeah. who did a perfectly good job as Supergirl. She was there was yeah, nothing was, wrong with her performance. Fine. She was fine. She just had a a weak it, script. It, it, it was a weak script. Yeah, but she she is. I I would have cheerfully seen her play Supergirl for. Two or three more movies. Yeah. Uh, um, over over on the chat and YouTube, Cronus Godwison says Marvel is putting out twenty movies and TV shows. One of them is watchable. <laughs> well, and I think the thing is, is that there's Marvel has got to the point. I think DC DC is doing that some too. There comes a certain point where if you're gonna you're gonna put out so much of this stuff, where you're getting into and there's just no, there's no way around this. If you put out six different TV shows, they're not going to appeal to not all of them are going to appeal to everybody. Yeah. And so you're ending up with a certain amount of of target. You know, you're targeting your audience with with your hope. You're going to hope that this part of your, this segment of your audience watches this TV show. And some of that comes from if you're aiming at a younger, older audience. Um, you know, uh, there's it's just what happens. Um, and I see that when you look at some of the the television shows that were shared universes, and some of them were insane in in what TV shows are Hill Street Blues and the X Files. Think about that for a second. They share a universe. They do. Since when? They, they, well, because all of this stuff. Okay, so you go back to Saint Elsewhere, right? And you start drafting out your lines of connections. <laughs> and the thing is, is that you end up with this gigantic, well, it's a murder board, right? Where all these connections, um, it's insane. And and you look at the various characters that have crossed over from one series to another. And, and if you, you mean wanted, characters, not actors. Characters and actors. Yeah. Who have played this character, that character. And sometimes you see it on a small scale. It's like we saw it with... And it didn't work. It didn't work, and it should have. Uh, Eureka, Warehouse 13, yeah. and Alphas, which should have been very, very cool, but the shows have very different tones. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they did not well, bridge them particularly well. Didn't they cross over Dark Matter with, um, oh, what was the other one that was on about that same time? Um, um, the Bounty Hunter one. Um I don't think they actually crossed over, but maybe they did. I, 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 I don't, I don't remember. remember. I don't remember. Well, well then, of course, well, you've got the Scooby-Doo episode of Supernatural. So right. they they live together, sort of. <laughs> and Supernatural, well, and, and Scooby-Doo, and Batman. Sure. No, oh, yeah, Batman. Sure. That Scooby takes you into the Hanna-Barbera universe, which has its own, like, right. gigantic... I mean, what always disappointed me about the X-Files <laughs> is that there were, like... Let's see, Millennium was set in, in the same universe as the X-Files. Mm. Um, and justice justice for Millennium, because 
that was a show that was really, really good and way ahead of its time. And audiences, I mean, if that film, if that show had come out now, yeah, audiences are much more uh, inclined for that kind of dark supernatural kind of show. Um, uh, it, tonally, it was it was far darker than the X Files. Yeah. Um, and so, but Lone Gunman, I mean, that was all connected, um, <clears throat> all kinds of stuff. But yeah, you get into that, you get into all the different, um, well, the Green Acres universe. Where you had uh, Beverly <laughs> yeah. Hillbillies and Green Acres, they were in the same. They were in the same universe. Didn't they cross over? Um, weren't weren't they also they in the same overs. universe? Didn't they, weren't they also in the same universe as Petticoat Junction? They were. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All those. All, all those right. are in this. Um, or you go to. Uh, huh, I love this. Father knows best. Cast your mind. Ask your parents, kids. Um, actually, ask your grandparents. Hey. Um, hey. hey. <laughs> uh, Father knows best. Charlie's Angels. Love Boat, Vegas. There's there's a a, a deeper cut yeah. for for those of us who are of, of an age. Andy Griffith, um, Dick Van Dyke Show. These are all connected, apparently. Oh. Um, uh, plus, logic over an uh, Odyssey. The bounty hunter one was Killjoys. Thank you, thank yep. you. That's right. Yep. And I en- I enjoyed both of those shows. I was you know, it was it was that part of that weird little period where sci-fi was like hey we should make sci-fi shows again and right. we're like that's cool <laughs> yeah. and and it was it it was if you're if you're older if you're in your 50s like jason and i are where you've got that you remember the the syndication science fiction for you basically had to go to syndication in the 90s to get science fiction yep that's where it lived right with shows like mutant x and that sort of stuff time tracks um yeah and there's some in the 80s too, but mostly yeah. it was the, the, the its big period was I guess the 90s, uh, mostly. And and so it was, those those shows had a little bit of that element to it uh, because they weren't like they they were f- they were fresh, although um, God, I think both of them are based on comics, but. Um, they were they were they were fresh. They weren't tied to anything else. Mm-hmm. They didn't have their. They weren't like um, they, because the, the the advantage of a shared universe and a shared you know continuity is that in theory you can bring the fans of X show or X movie along to the new one, right? I right. mean, you get you get shows like uh, the Winchesters, right, spinning out of Supernatural. But I also think that you run the risk of you know, it's the same risk you get with every t every movie sequel. Is that the thing that made the first one such a hit? Mm-hmm. Is it a recapturable thing? Can you can you grab that thing and make it again and then again? Yeah, and then again. Well, I think and, that's what made Star Trek work is because they weren't trying to redo the same model over and over and over again. Now, Next Generation kind of was the original series with, you know, just updated. But then they did Deep Space Nine and they went completely opposite and did Frontier Town Sheriff mm-hmm. out in the way. I mean, Gunsmoke instead right. of Wagon Train. And um, uh, Road Vagabond Life says All in the Family, the Jeffersons and Maud. That was another right, yeah. another shared universe. Well, and, so and 
I think one of the things you talk about Marvel, I think one of the problems that you run into with that shared universe with Marvel in, in that particular case is that Kevin Feige has to have his hands on all of it. And at some point, it gets too big for any one person to manage. And I have said for a number of years now that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is one big, giant TV show. And each movie is the episode of the show. And Kevin Mm. Feige is the showrunner. And they're telling, and we've had articles that have talked about this, they're telling their writers and directors, this is what you're going to do in order to fit into mm. everything else. And sure. while while the shared universe gives you opportunities to, you know, pop in characters from various different places and in and out and whatever, it also locks you in, like you're talking about the dependence mm-hmm. of, well, we have to see this. I mean, Captain Marvel's a, a classic example of that because they, re- they set the release date of Captain Marvel in between the two Avengers movies. And it made a billion dollars because everybody went to go see it thinking they had to see it in order to know what happens in the next Avengers movie. When it didn't really have any connective tissue at all. It was an oh, it's set I mean, in the past. It's set in the past. And it, it of course, there's speculation like, well, they knew it wasn't going to play well, so they dropped it in there to get everybody to do it. And how much of that is true? Who knows? Whatever. It doesn't it, immaterial. It's a, but they it's dropped a it. Perfectly middling Marvel movie. Right. So they drop it in between the two, you know, bazooka films. You know, that's big just, big just, billion dollar, and and drop that in. Scheduling. And it had nothing to do with either one of them. And 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 that's that's when you've got your audience conditioned. Sure, to, but the problem say, okay, this with is what that we're going to do is that you know you end up you end up with what I think, and and I guess maybe it's because I'm a comic book reader where I don't mind the the arc where it goes like you know here's your builds up to the big crisis adventure mm-hmm. boom thing and then it drops back down because you had the big crisis thing. And yep. you, you start the build back up again. And that works on a in a comic book universe really, really well. Because it gives you, you know, it it everything settles down. Yeah. Right? And so you're dealing with the but they also come comics come out, you know, about once a month. Once a month. Um, and it's only twenty or thirty pages. It's not right, like you're so, you know, two hours at a time. So, so it works really, really well um, for giving you this these highs. And then these it builds back up, and then it drops, and it builds back up, which is sort of just the model. When you get to movies, um, the problem is, is that it it only ever seem they this is what everybody wants, mm-hmm. but you can't do that right. because because there's only a limited number of amount of up. You can't. Yeah. You, I mean, and, and this first is, of all, this is what Mission Impossible is going to run into at some point. And they and and who knows? Maybe they do it with Dead Reckoning. But every single movie that comes out, it's like, okay, what crazy, stupid, weird, insane thing is Tom Cruise going to do this time? And in this particular one, you've got the cliff jump, which they shot on the very first day, because. If he dies, then we don't do the movie. 
And, and, right. and that's exactly why they shot it the first day is, okay, if if he dies, then we'll just cancel the movie. And rather than get through, right. you know, three quarters of the way through and then he dies, and then what are you going to do? How do you finish it? So right. on the one hand, that's kind of smart. On the other hand, how are you going to top this base jump off a motorcycle? Orbital like, jump. I, orbital, uh, jump. orbital jump. Well, and here's, here's, here's the issue. It's a two-part story. Yeah. That's part one. Yeah. So we're getting it. <laughs> and, and folks, uh, uh, again, dear Hollywood, um, should you feel inclined to consult me, um, let us take a break. As much as as much as I'm looking forward to Dune Part Two and Part Three, and well, Part Three is Dune Messiah. It's a different book. Yeah. Um, but please, and 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 look, I completely understand it when you're adapting a novel like Dune. You're splitting it up into. We don't want another two and a two hour version of Dune. It's too much. No. So giving me five hours of Dune, okay. That 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 keeps enough of the story in there i'm okay with it but could we we need to be more judicious with our two-part epic movies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm not saying there's anything wrong with them i'm saying the film landscape has changed enough between uh, the pandemic time and and streaming and how people are consuming movies yeah that this is not as you know things are not as much of a sure thing as they might have been for your business model tread maybe a little more carefully smaller <laughs> budgets maybe well yeah, it would be nice to see some smaller budget films coming back into play. Um, Plus, Logic says shared universe films. Not uh, well. No, yeah, he t- took it away. But uh, um, Pink Panther, James Bond, um, which I guess I mean I don't know about the 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 Pink Panther ones. James Bond, not necessarily a shared universe, is so much as it was always James Bond as the lead. Um, but well, and there, were, there was talk about spinning off what Halle Berry's character, yeah, yeah, that's, but yeah, which, that's true. which I would have been fine with, um, if it hadn't been such attached to such really the most disappointing Pierce Brosnan Bond movie. Was she, was she in Brosnan? I thought she was in with Daniel Craig, she was in the first Daniel Craig one. No, she, no, she was, was the last, she was the last Pierce Brosnan, one. okay. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. Okay. It's the one with the. I know it's it's the, the one with the invisible car. car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Plus, Logic also says, didn't the old school Star Trek films clo- get come close to reaching the scale of Marvel? Not, not really. Um, no. Because you only had with the Star Trek movies, you had one movie come out every three or four years, as opposed well, and, to the Marvel films, which are two or three in a year. And in ten years' well, time, we movies. have yeah, we've got twenty twenty two films in the last twelve years. So. Uh, Not to mention the yeah. budget differences. Star Trek. Oh yeah, it's it's easy to forget considering how popular Star Trek really is, Was. and the success of shows um, like uh, Brave New World, Strange New Worlds, and 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 um, the for however you feel about the. Um, the movies, the more the more recent, you know, the the. Kelvin Track. 
Kelvin Trek, um, the first two films were financially successful. Um, and and the first the first film was really really popular with enough people right so mm-hmm. but the thing is is that generally speaking the original run of films up through you know um, Star Trek six budgets were very small yeah. compared to anything we're thinking about now well I mean, and, and that was a reaction mostly to the budget of the first film going out of control so-called sure because not see and that's that's even fudging things a little bit too because the budget for star trek the motion picture does not cover just star trek the motion picture right it also included all of the work, all of the money spent on the Phase 2 TV show that never came to fruition that eventually became the movie that was then a TV show again and then back to a They couldn't decide what they were going to do. And right. so they've spent all of this development money on Star Trek Phase 2, which eventually gets folded into Star Trek The Motion Picture, and then Star Trek The Motion Picture goes over budget and over schedule. Because shenanigans, and you know, you have this last minute. Here's the picture. It just came out of the developer. Put it in the put it in the projector and run it. That's all you get. Right. And then Paramount said, "We want to do another one, but the TV division is going to do it, and your budget is going to be this big." Well, and and the, sometimes, and you and I know this from the independent film world is that sometimes those restrictions are really helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, you the first Star Wars some... movie. You know, uh, you know Gary, oh. Kurtz, Gary Kurtz sitting there telling, telling George Lucas, you can't do that. We don't have the money. Figure, figure well, out a different and, way to do it. But the I think that there's... And maybe... Oh God, I, I really hope we're going to see this, because interestingly enough, we are seeing it on the streaming side. There's a whole bunch of lower budget pictures mm-hmm. and some really stupidly expensive ones for streaming. Guys, yeah. more than $30 million on any film you're going to release straight to streaming. Um, how are you going to calculate you made your money? How? What, what, how? Um, anyway, um, but you can, you know, the those restrictions. And yes, okay, so... What was the budget for Star Trek Two? Do you remember? Uh, off the top of your head? I'd have to. I'd have to look it up. But it was like in the. What, I, I want. I, my brain says something like thirty million, um, and that, that may be completely wrong. Let me look. But the the fact that you got this, you know, that that was enough. Whatever the budget was, it was enough to make arguably the most popular Star Trek movie ever. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a. I think it's still the fan favorite Star Trek film, and you know, as as well crafted as it is, for the fact that they only had so much money to spend. Right. Okay. And you can so, see how they did that in the movie. You can see how. The, um. Yeah. Okay. So. All-time domestic inflation-adjusted box office for uh, for Star Trek II, um, two hundred forty-six million. Um, and its budget? 
where is its budget? Because it's not in this same as old as it is. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. Production budget twelve million. See, there you go. So, uh, and, and and you can tell actually if you look at the film, you can actually tell where that money went. Yeah. Because yeah. because most of the film is set on the same set. It's a bot. It's it's kind of a bottle episode. Uh, it it's you know it kind of is. It kind of is. And and they put a lot of money into ILM for the ships. Yep. And they, well, they spent the money in the right place. Yeah, pyrotechnics and visual effects. But here's the thing. The other advantage is is that at this particular point, those actors were TV stars, not movie stars. Right. They and were not getting paid. $10 million a person right. or, and you know. it was also not three hours long. The running time on this thing was 113 minutes. See, yeah, that's the other that's thing the, is this whole big, everything's going to be epic. Well, and, and there's a place for epic. There's a place for three hour movies. There's also a place for an hour and a half. Yeah. I mean, 90 minutes is a, is a perfectly acceptable thing, but I also think there's this, there's this weird audience expectation um, and I think that the Fast and Furious movies are a great example of this. Um, we did a we did a crazy thing with the car, so now now we have to do another even bigger crazy thing with the car. Mm -hmm. And now we're making a third movie. Okay, lots of cars, bigger, and, and it, it escalates, and the budget keeps going up, right. and and so you got to make bigger and more expansive, and they become more ludicrous and more silly, and and to some degree they're. They're a lot more fun if you're a fan of the series, which I'm not particular. I, I can take it or leave it. Um, I have not seen the latest film. And apparently a lot of people of didn't either. Yeah, I haven't seen any of them. Um, because it's it has not been a, the blockbuster that they were hoping for there either. But the thing is, is that you it's it's an it's a it's a escalation that cannot go on forever. It just can't well, because there's a and, limited number of eyeballs and a limited number of butts to put in seats. Right. And with Hobbs and Shaw, it becomes a shared universe because now you have right. a complete you have different characters set in that same story universe mm -hmm. with a supervillain. Well, but also I, bear in mind this is this is my favorite. This is my what, not my favorite, but one of my favorite shared universes. Um, Spy Kids, okay, uh -huh. Spy Kids. Yep. You know, there's yep. two or three Spy Kids movies. Right. Um, We're gonna get a new one too. Bill Bill is set in that universe is because it, it has really? crossover. Kid, yeah, from Dusk Till Dawn, which is a vampire movie, right. is set in that universe. Planet Terror. Which all these things connect because they have crossover characters. Hmm. Machete crosses over into all of those various threads. It makes it a shared universe. Okay, so now, so, so let, let me ask you this then. Because we talked about shared universes. Characters showing up, at the same actors playing the same characters. But they're in completely right. different types of film tonally spy kids like you said you know spy kids is much different from from dusk till dawn which then oh, yes. begs the question is it a shared universe or is it a multiverse so this is 
considered a shared universe. Mm. Now, whether or not now that here's here's where you can argue distinctions, right? And yeah. I think that to some degree, some of this also falls into the category what what some of these folks consider is shared universe. We might have called this back in the era of say 1970, late 70s, early 80s television stunt casting, mm. where you bring in a character from another show, right. and they show up. When Henry Winkler, when the Fonz shows up over here, whether he's called the Fonz or not, mm. the or, audience is going... Or <gasps> or Leonard Nimoy in full makeup and costume on the Carol Burnett show. Right. Or super, so Superman, being, Superman showing up on I Love Lucy. So it connects, and it makes it part of the shared universe, but how much those connections are, like... Yeah. More than just, aha, you made a funny. I mean, you look at, um, so fans were really looking forward to, they got, they got, um, Freddy Krueger versus Jason, right? <laughs> Freddy versus yes. Jason. Yes. And, and at the end of that, um, there was supposed to be a cameo from Doug Bradley's, uh, Pinhead as these two are fighting in hell. Pinhead was supposed to show up and say, "Gentlemen, what seems to be the you know what what's the, what's the, what's this all about?" Um, and you know, he's like, "What seems to be the problem?" And so the idea would be that the third film, uh, the next film, would be the three of them crossing over. Well, yeah. that didn't come to be, but in the comics, it's added the Evil Dead universe, so Ash from the Evil Dead, with the art, with the very logical argument being. That Jason is a deadite. Okay, and I see that. he, to be to be honest, it fits in extremely well. It's almost like someone was planning it from the beginning, <laughs> but they were not. Um, the thing is, is that fans look at this stuff and people go, "Hey, there's a connection," and people go, "Yeah, you're right." And the so you you've gotten this crossover, this shared universe in the comics. So you've gotten that to show up there. Yeah. We haven't got it on in live action. A lot of that comes down to rights. Freddie's, you know, um, new line. And, and well, the thing is, you don't, you know, Robert Englund is has been very vocal. He's like, it's time for a new Freddie. I'm too old to play the part. I love the part. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is that fans, I, I think we we still need more time because there's just no way for fans to. I mean, there were problems with the script, but. Jackie Earl Haley was a very creepy Freddy. The script, which, the script wasn't as strong. Which, if you go with the original Freddy, probably works better than the comedic arc that we got oh. for the later editions of Freddy. In that, but that's also kind of the thing is that so much the the fans <laughs> went along for the ride as the character went from very serious yeah. to very fu to which, mostly silly, which is probably so, why Jackie Earl Haley's version of it tonal tonal whiplash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that and the fact that that they some of the more implied nasty aspects about Freddie and his what he did to the kids. Mm -hmm. um, in large part because of when it came out, yeah, that that they the implication was there. The 
blunt statement was in the Jackie Earl Haley version. And I think it's an example of trying to make your villain too awful. I mean, he was, he's awful no matter what. Right. But I think it was tr- it was trying to be less... It's an area where they could have gone more subtle because there's a certain amount of Freddy is the villain protagonist of the night of the nightmare movies at, by by the end, right? Yeah. Um, and so making him straight up the villain, vile. I mean, yes, Freddy definitely is, especially in the first movie. Um, but yeah, it to- totally didn't work. But um, that's another story. Um, well, why aren't the, there more streamers covering the share universe? Why aren't because, more now the, the more important questions? Why aren't more people watching this H2O podcast? Yeah, that's no, that's the that question. Too. Now, OC Giggins says one of my favorites is Al Bundy showing up on In Living Color. See, I never okay, saw that. The, so the TV stuff, and this is this is something where, and, and in fairness, we we mentioned I've mentioned I brought up TV shared universes. This is my fault. Um, well, it's kind of but, easier to do than films. Well, it is. But the thing is, it's also often tied into the fact that the network contracted with a studio to produce their film, their TV shows. Right. And the studio often had a stable of shows. And so it was really, really easy for this actor and to cross over onto that TV show because the same studio owned them. Well, and it's like um, uh, the six million dollar man and the bionic woman, right? Exactly. Which, which oddly enough, was made by the same production studio, but aired on different networks, right? And it was in one of the and, first weirdly odd kind of disjointed crossovers because Oscar Goldman, played by Richard Anderson, was on both shows. And that was almost unheard of to have an actor on one network show up as the same character on another network because they're competing networks. Right. And I think that to some degree we're back to that because you don't want you the various groups that are making, you know, the various studios or, or production companies that are making these these TV shows and films for the whether it's cable or streaming or whatever, they don't do they don't do the crossover stuff like that anymore. They yeah. don't they're not they don't share even that rarely. I mean it's just it's just and some of that comes down to production schedules. I mean, we look at how TV was produced when we were growing up, you know, the sixties, seventies and eighties. The turnaround time on that stuff was nuts. Oh yeah. We were looking yeah. we were looking at we were watching shows that aired live that probably finished production on that episode the week before. Right. And and they only had a certain number of days to shoot it before it went into post-production in order to get to the network. Well, and you look at something like you look at like one of the most groundbreaking science fiction shows on TV, Farscape. You look at their production schedule. Yeah. It's insane. They were they were yeah, you were shooting 3 to 7 days depending on the on the episode and you were shooting in blocks. So you would sometimes be shooting part of, ep- of one of three episodes at mm-hmm. the same time. Yeah. 
Um, and I don't, the, I don't and know because how they kept it straight. That, well, that, that's part, a script supervisor who is really on top of his game. Well, on, and on top of that, almost all of that was, was ADR'd because they, were, they shot most, most of Farscape production-wise in studio was shot in a giant warehouse in Australia mm. that when it rained, <laughs> it literally drowned out dialogue. No. So they had to ADR a significant chunk of that show, which is just, I mean, you, you think about how good that show turned out and you think, how? How? And where? where's my Farscape revival? Lightning in a bottle, Tim. Lightning in a bottle. I, I don't think we're going to get Ben Browder, Ben Browder and Claudia Black are still kicking. It's funny. Somebody, somebody posted a photo. They were at a, they were at a convention. What was it? Last week? Last weekend, I don't know which convention it was, but they were doing a Farscape panel. And Browder's up there, and he's just dressed normal. And Claudia, Claudia Black is up, and she's wearing all pink, and she's she's blonde now for whatever reason. And, and it started going around. People were like, I'm going to tell people that this was Barbie and Ken. <laughs> but see, I think even that would the, be great. You have, you have Mattel... Uh, Mattel films that are looking at not just Barbie, but you know you've got J.J. Abrams working on a Hot Wheels movie. You have other other things sure. that I mean, they have a complete division at Mattel to exploit their IP. What can we do? I mean, I don't well, know what the Uno film is going to look like, but they're working on an Uno film. And I think to some degree, to some degree, because if my my thought would be that. See, Barbie, interestingly to me, seems like it's going to be if, if it's a, if it's a success, mm. I think it's going to be because there are generations of girls and boys, but you know, primarily girls yep. who grew up playing with that toy. And so there's just I mean, Barbie is baked into the consciousness in Star Trek, the same way Star Trek is. It's been around all of our lives. Yeah. Our, you know, we grew up with with these characters and so i think barbie really benefits from that but i think that the, the thing about mattel whether or not it's actually a shared universe that they end up developing or just developing stuff based on i mean to some degree they've got this giant catalog of stuff that's been around all of our lives and the question is how do you make how you do you make movies out of any of it well, and that's just it. That that becomes the real question. Yeah. And the answer is, I don't know. Um, <laughs> now, but but the thing is, is that a hot a Hot Wheels racing movie that was geared towards kids. They did that already. Learned, it's called Cars. Well, and learned the mistakes. Learned from the mistakes that Cars the Cars movies made. Don't don't set talking cars. In what is clearly the post-apocalyptic remains <laughs> of the real world, guys, don't you know, do it. I tell you that that head canon of the whole Toy Story universe thread is brilliant and scary at the same time. It is well, it it's, is a phenomenal it's, it's piece a, of it, work. It's Walt Newton in a different form. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's it Pixar's really Walt Newton. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, right. so so we got Cam I, I, and and Cronus both pointing out Mork and Mindy and Happy Days. I want to mention that before we get right. in there. But yeah, go ahead, go ahead and finish your point, and, and then we'll go to that one. 
Well, I was just going to say that that you've got your. There is is definitely a market for toy based films. There always has been. The issue has often been is that just because you made a film about the toy doesn't mean you made a good movie or a movie that people were going to watch. Battleship. I mean, we literally got a Battleship movie. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And, uh... and when you look at what they actually made, and you think to yourself, this could have been a 1980s science fiction movie. It has no distinction between a Canon Films... Orion Pictures, Carol Co. Carol Co. Yeah, it's it, it's got a, it's got a more expensive cast, but in terms and and the thing honestly, if it had come out in the eighties, it would have been a hit. Yeah, yeah, and that's I mean it still wouldn't have been. It, there were a lot of not good movies in the eighties that were hits, <laughs> and, and and there's a lot of not good movies now that are hits. Yeah. That's how it works, but. A um, uh, uh, question over an Odyssey. Yeah, Road Vagabond asks, wasn't there a newspaper comics crossover of many characters for some reason? Can't remember the reason they did it. Um, that was, wasn't that, that wasn't, that wasn't in the films. Because um, you had, you had Batman, you had Batman and the Green Hornet crossover in the TV shows. Um, also in the comics. Also in the comics, uh, of course, the green uh, the green hornet is the descendant of, of uh, related to the Lone Ranger, but the right. the 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 comic strip characters, you have a you have a group of them: the Shadow, the Phantom. Uh, who are the others? Because so there's no, there's a group not of the them. Shadow. It's Ma- it's it's Mandrake, the magician. Yeah. Um, it's the Phantom. the Phantom. It's Flash Gordon. Um, okay, and yeah. who was the other one? There was a fourth one, uh, um, and they actually there was a cart. They actually did a cartoon did a version cartoon. of it. Yep. Um, and and I, these are actually characters that was that it Tarzan? Did no, it wasn't Tarzan. I don't think so. Let me look. Let me look. Um, but but there. But the thing is, is that these are characters who potentially could work really really well. Um, I I this would be the kind of thing. That um, defenders of the earth could potentially be a really rich thing to come back to. Yeah. Uh, defenders was, of the earth. Thank it was you. Flash Gordon, the Phantom. Yes, we've talked about how the Phantom movie of the nineties is actually a really fun film. Yeah, the uh, the Phantom, Flash Gordon, Mandrake, and Mandrake's assistant Lothar. Ah, okay. Yeah. So it was, and the thing is, is that these were all I can't remember whatever the comic, the was, whatever the. I, I cannot remember the name of the syndication. Uh, it was it was, it was, some, King, was it was Kings, wasn't it? Oh, okay. That that's what that's what was there, but I'm like that. I can't be right. King Features Syndicate, I think. So by the same. Yeah. So so they were all owned again. We come back to owned <laughs> by the same people. Yep. Yep. Um. So. But the thing is, is that they were actually really, really cool. I mean, we we've talked about before how the Phantom is a great character, um, and quite, quite frankly, um, I would love to see return of the character. But as we've also talked about before, I love the fa- I think I, the Phantom as a legacy character 
is a really cool idea because you can reinvent it for a new generation. Yeah. The problem is, is that the Phantom is kind of like the Shadow. He really works best in the 1930s and 40s. Kind of like Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think that I think that we've, like we talked about uh, last episode, I think that some of these folks, they fit so well in their era of original appearance yeah. that the more you pull them out of them, the less they feel like that character and you can do it when a character ages you know i think that's okay if you're if you're going to go that route it, that makes sense but you have characters like the shadow in the comics they pulled him into the 80s um and it's supposed to be the 1940 shadows shadow in the 80s and i'm like yeah the four issue miniseries was okay but then the like 18 issue follow-up series was just terrible yeah because it only works for a minute and then you're like but 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 how why (laughs) (laughs) so uh but yeah i mean there's um see i wouldn't mind seeing a phantom shadow team up movie set in the 30s so so what here here's 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 tim's little dream thing right for these pulp heroes right yeah uh it'd be the shadow the avenger not avengers mm-hmm, right uh, not, the, not the british show not avengers the marvel but the avenger who was a who was a, a very popular character uh also in the same time period doc savage and his guys mm-hmm. and the phantom well, what about That's- uh what about miss fury Add Miss Fury to it. Bringing Miss Fury would be fantastic. Um, These these characters all sitting in the this this space because they all dealt with they dealt with criminals differently, Mm. and and in the places where there there have been comic crossovers at various points, um, where there are different ways that they deal these characters, they clash, and not that they're not that they become, they're not, they, well, they do the inevitable superhero fight and then it's like, oh, wait a minute, we shouldn't fight. We should fight the bad guys. Right. Yeah. We have something in common. Yeah. But the thing is, is that how the Shadow and the Avenger and Doc Savage and the Phantom all dealt with criminals, there was a whole lot more of, well, I'm just going to have to kill you now. But there were still distinctions. Doc Savage always would try and save them. You know you know what should happen. You know who should be the catalyst for bringing all of those characters together. Buckaroo Bonsai brings them all out of retirement. He goes across the eighth dimension through time and the, pulls the them to is, the modern era. The problem is, is that this means getting a Buckaroo Banzai sequel. I and know, I know. Oh. We're going to be dead before the right situation gets worked out. I'm I sorry. I don't think it's ever going to get worked out. That's why the heat death of the universe might come along before. Yeah. The lights are going to, the last one out's going to turn off the lights before. And then there's something like, hey, wait, what's, the lights are. Like, what's <laughs> this piece of paper over here? Yeah. And it'll, 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 thing is that the universe will collapse. A new universe will begin. And we still and won't get a sequel. There, <laughs> and it'll be the Buckaroo Banzai universe. Yeah. And it, it will be much more entertaining. Somebody should do somebody should do the Buckaroo Banzai sequel and just file the serial number off and call it something else. 
but bring Peter Weller in and bring all oh, the yeah. bring all the cast together or 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 mix it up you know instead instead you know instead of Peter Weller playing the Buckaroo Banzai he's uh he's playing Clancy Brown's character and Clancy is pre- playing New Jersey and Jeff Goldblum is playing is is playing the Buckaroo Banzai <laughs> and that way you can so, it's not exactly the same so what you do is, is oh a sequel to Remo do, Williams that would be fun. You do the you do the ghost uh, the Ghostbusters sequel uh, model, where ninety percent is a brand new cast, and then Buckaroo shows up at the end. It's not billed as a Buckaroo Bonsai movie at all. Uh-huh. It's basically just it's these it's these people going on an adventure. And it's and at the end, it's revealed that it's the ninth dimension, and because you because with the with the the changes in in makeup and things like that, you could make the aliens look close enough, but not just like the electroids did it before, yeah, right? And then you have and then at the end, you know, you never actually say the words Buckaroo Bonsai, but you have those people show up dressed the right way. And they help save the day, and it's just like, or or before he shows up, right? They've won. They've won. They save the day, right? They get a package, <laughs> and they open up the, the packages. Oh, hey, these are some really nice blue blazers. I wonder who sent them to us. And then that's oh. when Peter Weller walks in, and says, "Hi, guys." And then you cut to black and go to the credits. Yeah, you could do a lot and, with that without shoot, actually having. And you shoot the end credits in that same viaduct where they shot the <laughs> end credits. <laughs> we should do the, You know, that's what you, that, what we should do for our final episode of the H2O podcast. We should go to that viaduct and shoot the end credits of the H2O podcast in that viaduct. I think I, I I just really like the idea of my like waking up next to Suzanne Pochette and going, honey, I had the strangest dream. Right. And that's a uh, deep cut for some of you kids at home, too. So. Yes. So, uh, yes, Doug Buckaroo Bonsai and Big Trouble in Little China could actually work as a shared universe. They could. They actually could. Yeah. Although, would, interestingly enough, there have been attempts to make. Because, of course, OK, so uh, to some degree, I blame Alien and Predator. Um, because oh, yeah, while it is, while it is kind of cool to envision these things together, the execution for the movies has been disappointing. Um, the comics have gotten it a lot better because yeah. again, you can do different things in comics, but, um, there have been attempts to make things like big trouble, little China and the thing fit in the same continuity i i want to say i saw um was it a comic strip it may may have been it was probably a fan thing but you had uh you had all three of the kurt russell characters meet each other jack burton and snake plissken and uh whatever his character was from the thing all met each other in this thing, and I don't, I don't remember if it was a comic book or if it was something, 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 something. It was, it was funny to look at. The problem with that, though, is that we get we we talked about this a little bit earlier. Is that tonally, yeah, these three universes don't fit. 
and you could make them fit, but it would require at least well, it would require two of the three characters to be a fish out of water. And well, I don't know. The thing and Escape from New York kind of fit together better than well, Big Trouble better in than, China. Yes, I mean, but but the thing the thing is paranoia and cosmic horror. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Escape from New York is social satire and post-apocalyptic. But the po- and, but the apocalypse could have been brought about by all of the societal paranoia brought about by there, the shape Yeah, yeah there, there's, mean, there's ways there's, to make it work. Frankly, I think that they live and escape from New York. Yes. Fit together really well. Yes. But yeah. we have not, as far as I'm aware, we've not had that shared crossover yet but i mean i think um we have not we're we are cam says secret agent and the prisoner uh i'm not familiar with secret agent okay so um the the there were has long been speculation that secret agent man was the was the patrick mcguin spy show that preceded the prisoner and there are a lot of similarities between the two characters. Now, the, char- the, the number six in The Prisoner is never given a name. Like, sure. We never hear his, his real name. Right. So there has long been this fan theory that started really when The Prisoner came out um, that number six is that character from the, from the previous series. And McGowan has given contradictory answers the other writer, because well, Patrick McGowan was the main writer. He was not, not the only writer. It was a lot more collaboration at the beginning before it became more him. The the other writer has said that was the intent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if I'm if I'm remembering this right, cr- folks, correct me if I'm wrong. But the um, over the years, McGowan's been like, oh no 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 no, <laughs> maybe 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 maybe. He's never actually flat out said yes, but there's been some wiggle room. And the thing is, is that they actually do fit together, but that would not necessarily be a shared universe. That would be a stealth sequel. Yeah. And that's a different one we haven't. We that's a whole other topic. But see, the thing about it is those sequels. I mean, you look at Star Trek sequel. Those are sequels to the original series, and it becomes a shared universe because you have. A new set, a new set of stories, a new set of characters that are connected to the original one, right. the other one, the first one, and the, this one over here. So you could make the argument, even if if Secret Agent Man and the Prisoner are are directly connected to each other, then they're still part of a shared universe because it's in that same setting. Well, except the thing is that they're ish. They're, they're less in the same setting as they potentially share the same lead character. Yeah. Because the settings are very... The tone of both shows is is different. Um, and certainly um, the surreal paranoia, yeah. very surreal paranoia of the prisoner uh, is a different tone than Secret Agent Man was. Well, and uh, what was uh, what was the other one? Because um, you had um, oh, plus logic says Commando could work with Big Big Trouble in Little China, <laughs> the Schwarzenegger film Commando. 
Well, and I think that there's a a fair amount of argument that command some I can't remember how it all connected, but Commando and Predator mm-hmm. are essentially the same universe because Schwarzenegger is essentially playing the same character. Yeah. Now, in fairness to well, or not in fairness isn't right. Um, Arnold played pretty much the same character in a lot of movies <laughs> yeah. because because that's what people wanted him to do. That's, oh, that's oh, what they uh, Conan and Red Sonia, which technically oh, yeah. technically weren't because Schwarzenegger's not playing Conan in Red Sonia, but he's playing right. Conan in Red Sonia. But they cro- they are definitely. I mean, they are there is and and this has been acknowledged in the comics too. Depending depending on who the rights holders are, yeah. They have shared the same universe. Yeah, those um, those films are cousin. Those films are cousins. Yeah, and yeah. I think that to some some of this stuff is complicated by who owns the rights this week to some of these some of these older characters, and I think that that's. Um, I mean, well, I mean Solomon Kane. There was actually a movie, by the way. Yeah. Cast your mind back to a film you probably didn't see. Are they um, working on a series now? They're working on. Something. I had they're, heard... they're developing something new. I had heard that there was a series in development. I heard it was just in passing. I have not heard anything since. That you know, it's it's set in um, like the fourteen hundreds, fifteen hundreds. That technically shares the same world um, as Conan because of some of the same evil entities, mm-hmm. and Conan shares the same world as the Cthulhu mythos, because they also share some of the same cosmic entities. Everything crosses over into the Cthulhu mythos. Well, yeah, because a lot of those, you know, you look at Rob uh, uh, Howard and you look at some of the other uh, younger authors that were, you know, because in many ways Lovecraft, for all of his faults, had no problems with other people playing in the world that he had created. 1700s, thank you. You are correct. Um, and so there's this, there's this, um, that whole, there were like a generation of writers who were like, you know, they, they wrote a Cthulhu story earlier in their career, which then connect, then they brought back, you know, they, so this stuff does all connect. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could, in, in many ways, there is a very disturbing, uh, Cthulhu multiverse out there that <laughs> is, um, connects to Star Trek. It will connect. It connects to so many things. Yeah, I well, just I just listened to the latest book in the Laundry series from Charles Strauss. Yeah, and he is what uh, 13, 10, 10, somewhere between 10, 12, 13 books in a series where the most recent run has had Narlo Othotep become the Prime Minister of England. <laughs> Imagine how well that's going. Yeah, well, probably about as good as reality, I guess. Uh, now, Cam Cam also mentions Star Trek having Assignment Earth as a backdoor pilot for the Gary Seven series that we never got. Sure. Um, Interestingly enough, there's I I felt I felt like the there's a recent episode of of Strange New Worlds where based on the clothing and the tech, I and I haven't seen anything about this, but to me it felt very much like let's make a visual homage. To assignment Earth, and not say anything about it. Oh, you're talking about the time travel one? Yeah, that that whole the the, the they the, go back the to Toronto. The, yeah, they go back to 21st century Toronto. Yeah, but I mean, you look at yeah. you look at the character, and we saw this, this is in the clip online. So even if you, even if you haven't seen the episode, it's not really a spoiler. 
but look at his clothes and look at the tech that he hands her. And I'm like, oh, oh no, he's a, he's a time he's an agent from I the know, temporal investigation. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But the thing is, is I looked at that and I went, visually, that reminds me. Yeah. I can see. Of, it. I can see it. of the assignment Earth Tech. Yeah. So even though it's not that, um, but I'm like, what if that's, I wonder if that was someone going, I'm going to do a thing and now, not say it. You want to do it. You want to talk about a shared universe story. I have to mention this one because we're talking about Gary Seven. We talk about Khan. Sure. Mm-hmm. Greg Cox did the three Khan Nunian Singh books. The, sure. The, right, the, yeah. And the first two that are still set on Earth. The third one is on SETI Alpha 5, and it's, it's, it's a different story. But the first two, The Rise and Fall of Khan Nunian Singh, that two-part story connects to so many different other right? things. The Equalizer, the Bionic Woman. I mean, I'm like, wait, did, did I just see... Wait, and I and I had to poke Greg about it after 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 I read the second one when Jamie Summers shows up in Reykjavik at the at the summit at the U.S. Russia summit, and I said, Greg, how did you, how did you do this? You know, because <laughs> he's got so many different you know different things going. Because see, and and this is something that Akiva Goldsman doesn't seem to understand. You can have Star Trek not be in our universe. It is it is fiction. And the eugenics war is taking place in the 1990s. The way Greg did it, it's all underneath the surface of all of his, these historical events that are actually going on that actually really took place. Greg fits in Khan's story and, and the, super, the Superman story within the fabric of what actually has really happened in the history of, right. of yeah, the Earth. It's... it's... Yeah, the, 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 it's it's, I call it the, I call it the Tim Powers. Uh, I've talked about his stuff before. Yeah, um, there is for a honestly, folks, and you should pick this up anyway. There's a British author and film critic named Kim Newman, and Kim Newman uh, years ago created the Anno Dracula universe, and Anno Dracula is basically a what if story. What if at the end of the novel Dracula? Dracula won. Mm. And his first stop was Buckingham Palace. And he turned the king, Queen of England. And so England becomes um, the empire on which the sun never rises. Uh. And it becomes the empire of vampires. And it spreads, vampirism spreads across the world. And the ruling class of the 18th century, this was the era of kings and queens and emperors. And yeah, um, so the ruling class becomes vampires. Things get interesting. But here's the fun thing. He took every vampire that showed up in fiction and they make appearances. Fine. The sequel is set during World War One. Well, there's a character who got his start by flying before he went off to study in the Far East. He's got a laugh. And a pair of a pair of uh, uh, Colt forty fives and a black slouch hat. Oh wait, that's Kent Allard. Who's Kent Allard? Oh wait, it's the real name of Lamont Cranston, who's the Shadow. The Shadow. The Shadow was a vampire. 
Biggles <laughs> as a vampire. All these all these pop culture characters, yeah. the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, essentially, except for vampire vampires. And even nice. if he didn't have the rights to the character, you would recognize the character. So mm. Lestat from the Anne Rice books could show up. They wouldn't call him Lestat. Right. But it was so obviously who it is. And he's built this multi-novel series where he's taken us through vampire <laughs> fiction up to the modern day. And, and there's characters that are through lines. Uh, because some of the characters are vampires. They live a long time. Yeah. But the thing is, is, he's been able to take the 20th century, and now the 21st century, and filter it through a lens where vampires have been ascendant and not ascendant, mm -hmm. where Dracula was the most terrifying force on Earth, or some kid wandering... Um, the uh, American Southwest during the 1960s because Dracula always comes back. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's all these different cool things and it's an incredibly cool shared universe because it, just like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen did, but even more so, it's not mean-spirited the way that League of Extraordinary Gentlemen became at the end. Alan Moore is opinionated. We're aware of this. Oh, yes. yes you can, much so. you can tell by the end of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which modern pop culture things he is not a fan of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with, with Kim Newman is a, Kim Newman is uh, uh, also, he's also been a, for, uh, a Warhammer 40K mm, no? uh, okay. writer. Yep. In fact, some of the, some of, he's one of the original big Warhammer writers. Okay. And so if you're a fan of that series, you should definitely be reading Kim Newman and if you're a fan of his books in the Warhammer, then you've already met a an alternate universe version <laughs> of one of the characters who's in. Because he he took a character from the Warhammer books and went, I really like this character. So I'm going to take her and I'm going to put her in the 1800s in this vampire novel I'm working on. <laughs> and so depending on if you read Warhammer books, you've got this version of the character over here doing this. If you read his vampire books, his 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 Anno Dracula books, she's over here doing this. Yeah, and technically, they're the same character, yeah. but not really. So uh, plus Multiple logic and in, in, in over in Odyssey, plus logic says, as a child, I always felt Buck Rogers and Battlestar Galactica were in a kind of shared universe. Maybe it was the time periods in which they were produced. No, actually, it was the fact that they were both Glenn Larson productions. And <laughs> and they shared a lot of of materials, sound effects, mm -hmm. um, props, ship sets. ship models, props, yeah, all of that stuff. It was it was Glenn Lars. It was funny because we've just started watching Buck Rogers. I've I've introduced Buck Rogers to Mrs. Boss, and we've gone through the first two. We've done Awakening. We've done Planet of the Slave Girls, and I'm like. That's a that's a that's a Galactica shuttle in that shot. <laughs> well, and the starfighters for Buck Rogers were the original design for the Viper. Mm -hmm. And when Star Wars came out, Larson decided that he wanted the Viper to look more like the X-wing, and so we got the Viper in in Battlestar right. Galactica, and the starfighter this this design became the starfighter for Buck Rogers. 
I used to have a model of that somewhere. I don't know. I, I wonder if it's still at home. I need to ask my mom. I called my mom tonight and said, Mom, would you go look on the shelf and see if this is still there? Because I had a Starfighter model. I don't know. All right. I don't know. We've got an hour and a half. We could go. We could go for. We, yeah, we, we honestly have not even scratched. We've, we've scratched the surface, but not even dived into the depths because there's no. a lot more, whether it's TV or even <laughs> film shared universes. We, there's still a lot more to talk about. We could definitely come back to this subject. Yeah. Um, and we and probably we, and again, will. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that we just, you and I just really kind of just started talking about the book shared universes uh, and there's more. Yeah. I mean, there's more crossovers that are, are you know, established these worlds connect that, than just the obvious ones. Um, yeah. In fact, uh, in some cases, I mean, I mentioned I mentioned Tim Powers. Some of some of his books are very much are standalone. They don't they don't connect, even though they're all alternate history kind of things. But some of them, well, they're very yeah. much the same universe. It's clear they they exist in the same thing. Here's a shared universe that's not genre, so it wouldn't technically fall into our our wheelhouse, but. Magnum P.I., Simon and Simon, mm-hmm. and Murder, She Wrote, all live in the same universe. Because right. they all they they all crossed over at one point. Oh, yes. Yeah. Would, I, I, could, I could get the Simon and Simon crossover with Magnum, but when, when Magnum crossed over with Murder, She Wrote, I went, wait, what? <laughs> my the biggest problem there is that he did not immediately arrest her for basically being the most effective su- serial killer in the history of, of humanity <laughs> right. because everywhere she goes it's her yeah. she's the killer you yeah. guys yes yes <laughs> all right on that um, note yeah. uh oh see so Cronus says remind me i wanted to read the wool newton novels combines holmes doc savage tarzan oh it combines a whole lot more than that we've actually There's so much more we've actually had an episode where we discussed the wool newton universe we did yeah we and, did indeed. and barely barely scratched the surface of oh that yeah too so all right let's see here right. let's do this hold on just a second let me push a button move that person uh done gone guys don't be don't be see people people posting links to weird things in in my chat ain't gonna happen you know is it gonna be gone um let's see here somebody says where is it um somebody mentioned hardcastle and mccormick did that did that cross over into something I don't remember. Hardcastle and McCormick or the Greatest American Hero? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't. I don't remember Greatest American Hero crossing over into anything. I, but although, it wouldn't surprise me. It was certainly of a although, certainly at the time that a lot of these TV shows were crossing over. Although the Greatest American Hero could be now, this is a stretch. Could be a prequel to V. Because you have you have the girl, I can't for the life of me I can't remember the name. The girl the girl who played Julie in V is one of the high school kids on Greatest American Hero. The blonde, who's the resistance leader. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember her name. 
Um, anyway, I mean, it's it's not. She's playing a different character. But why not? Why not? Why not? Uh, Cam says there was a Star Wars Earth Indiana Jones crossover. Chewie became Sasquatch. That was a fan strip. Um, where because because Star Wars takes place a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The 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 story goes that Han Solo and Chewbacca somehow crash land on Earth. Right. Way, right. way, 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 way back at the back in the day. And of course, no, Han, it's a long Han's, time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Right, well, and well, not in the galaxy far, far away because they crash land on Earth. And well, Han, they got close. Han Solo dies leaving Chewbacca to wander the earth. And that's where the Sasquatch Bigfoot story comes in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We got to get out of here. We're, we're, we'll be here all night. Um, the new V and Stargate can be crossovers. I don't know about that. Maybe. I don't know. If you, if you spend enough time in Wold Newton, you will be able to find connections in everything. Yeah, you'll, 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 knit it, you'll, knit, you'll knit them all together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, that's it for us tonight, folks. Don't forget, you can connect with us on all the different social medias. And uh, Death Angel Shadow has already put the link to the Discord over in the YouTube chat, but you can see it there. It's in the notes for the video. Uh, and uh, if you are so inclined, do check us out on other video platforms besides YouTube, just in case. And that's going to do it for us. No live from the bunker tomorrow, but we will have Thursday, the AI panel, and then open line Friday on Friday. And then we're back to Good Morning Multiverse on Saturday, although Tim won't be here because he's doing... I will not things. be here. I'll be with the Fringe Festival. Same thing with Monday um, and and. We're taking. We are taking the next is, week off um, because I'll probably be exhausted. Yes, in, in all honesty, um, it's it's going to be a very yeah. full weekend and very. I'm going to have a lot of time, a lot of fun. Yeah, but I've also got a lot of movies to screen over. So <laughs> there is there is a possibility that we come back August first. We might take the next two weeks off, but that hasn't been decided yet. So we're we're discussing it. So so. Find our socials because we'll announce it on socials what we're going to do. So, uh, so, so do that. In the meantime, check out the rest of the videos, and and uh, you can find our Wold Newton discussion in uh, in the in the playlist. So go check that out. Check out the rest of the videos that we've got here, and uh, that's going to do it for us tonight, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Good night. Good night, everybody. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2023, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.